0: You're listening to A Date With Data with your
1: host, Amy Bitterman.
0: Hey, it's Amy, and I'm so excited to be hosting A Date With Data. I'll be chatting with state and district special education staff who, just like you, are dealing with IDEA data every day. A Date With Data is brought to you by the IDEA Data Centre. On this episode, we're joined by Jody Fields, Director of IDEA Data and Research Office with the Arkansas Department of Education. Welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself to get us started?
1: So I'm Dr. Jody Fields. I actually have a grant from the Arkansas Department of Education Special Education Unit. We're located at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, and I have been serving as the Special Education Data Manager since December 2003.
0: Between the pandemic and all the changes to the SPpapr APR, states have seen a dramatic impact on their 618 data and also the indicators. Can you talk about how the pandemic has impacted your data
1: trends and the results you've seen? Of course, the obvious data trend that was interrupted was assessment. And everyone lost that data set. Um, the accountability systems kind of crashed for the year in that regards. And while well, Arkansas was actually in the buildings in the 2021 school year, we still saw impact. So many of the students were virtual. About two-thirds of special ed students were actually virtual in 2021 school year. And so we saw a lot of issues around the data, even though we were all submitting them as normal through the statewide student management system, drops in assessment scores, drop in discipline records probably was the biggest one. And then also the fact of graduation in March of 2020, when everything shut down and students went home to be on virtual instead, a lot of school districts just went ahead and graduated everybody. So you didn't, we had this higher graduation rate where we may have had a a higher dropout rate if they were still in the buildings because they may not have decided to stick around for the last month or so of school. And instead we ended up with this higher graduation rate, a greater dropout rate. I mean, a lower dropout rate. And there was a good three per, the four percentage point swing on both of those. And what about the
0: impact on the quality of your IDEA data? What, what did that look
1: like? I think the quality issues really tied to how the districts handled dismissing students. Because we have a single student management system in Arkansas, so every school district uses the exact same system. And so it really came down to what were they entering? And a lot of the data entry staff were doing it from home in the spring of 2020. As we finished up that school year, they were still required to submit everything. No one had a waiver for any data sets to be submitted, whether it was IDEA or under ESSA or CCD, Common Core data, it didn't matter. Everything still had to be there. And so some of the issues about how the districts, but also for early childhood, getting access to those students to finish off early childhood outcomes (laughs) was a big one about how do you do an early childhood outcome final measurement for those kids heading to kindergarten or being dismissed that was going to be really valid and reliable when you couldn't even get access to the students. And I think that was probably one of the bigger ones besides just how data changed around school age with graduation dropout. For early childhood it was outcomes not having access and of course that then ties into referrals of not having access for those initial evaluations and while a lot of referrals seemed to come in as normal a lot of parents waived the evaluation my kids not going back to school next year, especially my preschoolers, daycares and preschools were not open. They um, were just like, we're going to wait and see we're at home. They can just stay home with us. And so a lot more wave waving off the referral process, you know, and then our data didn't look that bad. But that's only because we have a standing practice of not holding the districts accountable for things they can't have any control over, such as a parent not giving them access to a child, the due timelines. And so we tend to apply everything that's in indicator 12 around C to B transition, we apply those same reasons into indicator 11. And so our percentages look pretty good, don't really look like the pandemic hit it, but we actually, there were a lot of delays. Even though our data doesn't show that in the sense because parents delayed giving, you know, evaluators access to students.
0: So there's a real trickle down effect of things. Even you might see something really change and be impacted, but you also have to think about down the line, how that's
1: going to affect other
0: data and moving on to the future, I would imagine.
1: When you're not getting the access to the data, I mean, to the student to generate that data, then. You have this trickle down about how soon are they going to get services? When does their IEP start? You know, you have that whole issue around, you have a six months delay because you couldn't get access to the student. And it's like, so is there something you can do to help make up that six months of not being able to have an IEP in place six months earlier than what you have actually started one because of all of these
0: trickle down effects? What are some of the ways that you've uh, tried to mitigate some of those effects and address, you know, these data quality issues and also the the results and impact themselves?
1: Trying to mitigate it is a little bit more of a trick because it is at the local level and not necessarily at the state. So we did a lot of things about reminding districts what their responsibilities were, making sure they we were still doing trainings. Well, we couldn't do face to face trainings. We still had a lot of you know webinars and Zoom trainings. For everybody, I mean, I have a training coordinator for the student management system who was on there almost every day with a different district, training new data entry staff about what had to happen, what they had to submit, reminding them what they had to submit at the end of the school year, the start of the school year, and it really is a a lot of it is reminding the districts, don't forget these are your codes. These codes go with this group. These codes go with that program because we have everything in the student management system. We have certain codes that go to early childhood exit, school age. It's CEIS exits and such that we have to kind of remind them, especially as new staff comes in to the districts, well, what all those codes means and how they have impacts within their data and how we use that then with the reporting. And we're probably one of the states that kept the timely and accurate piece of our APR. And so a lot of the time just reminding them, hey, this has to be done right. You have to go back you have a period to review it and fix things and when you don't timely and accurate comes into play
0: can you say a little more about the timely and accurate piece with the
1: districts you mentioned with the apr so we look at basically everything for timely and accurate and we're not measuring within the apr we kind of still call it the old indicator 20 <laughs> for timely and accurate reporting it's not just the data coming in for 618. did we get the data in did we get it initially from the student management system when they have their of review for the various data sets did they clean up all the errors and conflicts that we found in the data did they get that all resolved within the time frame and so it really comes down to a yes and no but then we also go to monitoring and say so someone had a finding did they submit everything that they were supposed to submit in the time frame you gave them to the submit did we have audit findings back in finance Did they submit everything to finance they were supposed to submit in a timely manner? Do we have anything still that's long outstanding in that regards even? And while on the APR, it just shows yes or no. When we do our determinations is actually how many years have you been or how many items didn't you submit? So on our APR programs, it might say, no, you didn't meet the indicator, but the determination it says under timely and Accurate, we're counting how many items you failed to do submit appropriately and your score is based on the number of items and did you see that take a hit probably a little bit that there were a few that didn't clean up as much as they should have been cleaning up and we had to go back after the fact and ask them you know to give us the verification of what it was so we could fix it before we started to use the data but it does go into my spreadsheet for timely and (laughs) accurate my spreadsheet that they never want me to go into because they do, you know, it's kind of funny at times, they're more concerned at times about getting hit with that timely and accurate and their superintendent asking them, why didn't you do this on time? That concerns them more than it does at times of just being, you're out of compliance on it. But yes, because the superintendents also sign off on all of this data. They're really having those issues. You know, when you're saying you didn't submit it timely, superintendent goes, why didn't you submit it? What didn't you fix that you were supposed to fix? Cause that does seem more like low hanging fruit, something that
0: really everyone should be able to do at a minimum.
1: It did make it more challenging. And there were, you know, when people were working from home and they're like, all this stuff is in the office and some school districts allowed staff still to come in and work in their office and other districts were like, no one can come to the buildings. So it was a very much a local decision which made a, a bigger challenge for some districts than it did for others. What
0: about the changes to the SPP APR for the federal fiscal year 2020-2025? What impact did those have on your state and your results?
1: Well, I think the biggest change and the impact of the results has a lot to do with graduation and dropout using the 618 data and not the ESSA data. That is something that the districts are really going to have to get used to because of what the calculation is that calculation for graduation and dropout using those five categories in which students are in the exiting data for leaving special ed as the denominator so when you look at graduation or dropout it's the percent of students who are coded as graduating with a regular diploma within that data set it's not who was supposed to graduate with a regular diploma or what students could have dropped out is just who is within that data set or coded as a graduate or a dropout. And that probably has a bigger impact on dropout than it does on graduation. The graduation numbers actually, and that methodology for the state looks really good. <laughs> but when you take that down to the district level, it looks kind of strange. So if you only have one student in that co- five categories. And let's say they're a maximum age if you follow the calculation graduation comes up as zero and while we have put a disclaimer on our local aprs that says this is percent levers, a percent of leavers not a graduation rate if we put out zero percent for graduation it would be a major issue the, the districts the superintendents they're all going to be going what on earth what do you mean? And so we have made the decisions on the local ones. If you have zero counts in diploma, certificate, or alternate diploma, then it will become a not applicable for graduation and not be posted out to the public as a zero, because that will just raise all kinds of flags. And the same thing can happen with dropout, that you could have one student in that data set who is a dropout And nobody else in anything, because you might be a school, you could be a charter school who only has um, grades K-7, but you might have that 14-year-old who disappeared on you. And so now you have like one of one in the data set for 14 to 21-year-olds, and you're sitting at 100%. So we have actually, for public reporting, put the criteria that you have to have more than five in that dropout category for us to report it publicly. Instead it becomes a not applicable, just like we're doing in graduation and making things a not applicable. You know, at the state level, the calculation is really easy. You look at it and go, okay, no big deal. But at the district level, those two fields are indicators or major issues around reporting that to the public. And them understanding that it's not a graduation rate, it's not a dropout rate. It is a percent of leavers who exited special ed in these five categories, and only those five categories. With these changes to the SPP APR, how did you
0: convey them to districts and other stakeholders?
1: So, you know, a part of our requirements for the APR, of course, is to hold stakeholder meetings, and we actually initiated that with a group of selected stakeholders from across the state. And this is beyond those who are part of our state advisory. So we had about 40 who participated in webinars, but we also have special education does a monthly call with LEA supervisors and the last Thursday of each month. And so we also put things out through there. We've been doing it at different meetings. We had probably one of the few states we actually had in-person meetings last summer. We had two state conferences, one in June, one in September or October that we got to present things on. That was one of mine when we did the LEA Academy, which it was the end of September, I believe, or was early October. We... I. I had a whole session was about graduation and dropout to really explain what this was going to mean which is why we also i came up with the disclaimer to put on the apr profiles for each district that says this is what this means don't confuse it and such so it is a challenge especially as staff turns over and the fact that we know the special ed directors have to go back and explain this to superintendents and that is you know the bigger challenge of superintendents also understanding. And Arkansas is a state who's getting ready to have their first cohort next year graduate off an alternate pathway. And to explain that in the APR, this is going to count against them. And But when it comes to accountability under ESSA, it's good for them. They're part of that four-year cohort. So having to explain the differences where we have kept things so aligned for like eight years of aligning ESSA and the APR, and then we've totally flipped back to the way it was before where there was no alignment. And that's been a big piece of that understanding of getting the message out to the districts, to the stakeholders, our advisory council of explaining this is how this is going to affect, this is, which is why we brought it up at the advisory a couple months ago around the fact of graduation and dropout. And this is the criteria we've laid out before we put this to the public on the local APRs, because this is going to raise all kinds of flags. If we put out there, someone has a zero graduation rate or a hundred percent dropout rate on one kid. Given how long you've been in this
0: position as data manager. How has your role changed and evolved over time?
1: Probably one of the best things about being around as long as I have is all the iterations that had to happen within IDEA of having to collect referral data, having to collect, um, we already were collecting, you know, child count for school age and early childhood and personnel in the student management system, but it was in house kind of settle alongside of the student management system, not actually integrated. And now it's fully integrated into it. But we had to create, you know, referral tracking. We had to create a module for early intervening and such. And so a lot of times people go, I can't believe you just know this off the top of your head. It's like when you had to create it all, you know it because you were the one who had to help create it and such. So yeah, that was... One of the biggest things, and of course, one of the things when they did the grant to the university in the spring of 05 was we could have staff. So I've had, you know, an analyst. I We took over, instead of me doing the training with the school districts, I was able to hire a training coordinator who handles the training with the school districts and helps troubleshoot as, during the submission cycles and such. And so a lot of times I feel like I'm pretty spoiled. <laughs> because I do have staff. But that also meant when I was having staff, that means I get to get, go to more meetings while they get to do all the analysis stuff. And there's times I'm like, can I just go back to the analysis and not do all the meetings instead? Because it is one of those that you're like, I kind of miss doing what I started out doing. And now you have to play, you know, you're know, you the administrator and you get to get pulled into all these meetings. And it took time over, to, over years of getting pulled into meetings. It depended on who was the director of special ed, because I've gone through four directors of special ed. I'm the only person left who actually went through a monitoring with OSEP, and that was under the old Craig before they started looking at RDA, and we have a monitoring coming up, so. but I'm the only one who's ever gone through it.
0: <laughs> Joe do you have such a wealth of knowledge after being in your position for as long as you have and with your states? And you're always sharing your experience and expertise and tips and tricks that you've learned over the years with other data managers in other states. And I know how much they appreciate hearing from you and learning from you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. I try to help out where I can. There's times out of the blue, I'll get an email from someone and I'm like, okay. And I just like, this is what I know. This is where you can find it. Somewhere out there, there's a PowerPoint that OSUP did. Or see if anybody put it on the listserv and see if anyone still has it. You know, and there is a group of us, there's probably five or more of us who've actually been around this long, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Kansas, Missouri. There is a group of us who have all been around together and through all the changes.
0: Thank you so much, Jody, for joining us today on the podcast.
1: We really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me and I hope the podcasts are a big success.
0: To access podcast resources, submit questions related to today's episode, or if you have ideas for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. The links are in the episode content or connect with us via the podcast page on the IDC website at ideadata.org.